Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas, and we're doing Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me. I want to talk about something that is important to me, and I trust it will be of interest to you. Uh, what I have been doing for the past quarter of a century is biblical counseling, so that is my life. I have been on every possible end of biblical counseling, whether being the counselee, going through difficult situations in my own life, or doing the work of a biblical counselor. I also do training, and so I've had the opportunity to train a lot of people in the discipline of biblical counseling. I've interacted with a lot of people, and so I see a lot of what it, what goes on in the biblical counseling movement have been for the past 25 or so years. And because of that, there are some things that I do think that uh, we do we need to address. And what I find mostly within the biblical counseling world is that there are there are two poles that people generally sit on one or the other on one pole you will have uh, people that believe that biblical counseling is the greatest thing since sliced bread and and the, and we can do no wrong and then on the other pole well it's completely antithetical is is people who have been hurt by biblical counseling, people who do not believe in it, and they are the gainsayers. They are the folks who critique it, and I am not on that pole. I'm actually not on either pole. I would find myself somewhere in the middle. I am an advocate of biblical counseling. I believe in it. Obviously, I practice it. I I promote it as much as I possibly can, but I'm not the kind of individual that uh, would be inhibited from uh, talking about things that are wrong within something that I participate in and believe in, such as the biblical counseling movement. And so from my observations over the past quarter of a century, I have seen the rise of biblical counseling, but I've also seen the decline of it as well. And I I believe that there are reasons for it, that biblical counseling has lost some of its momentum. And so my desire here is not to be offensive, not to trigger anyone, but I, I realize there could be something on either pole for people to be offended by. Those who are somewhat anti-biblical counseling could be uh, like, Rick, you're not taking a hard enough stand. You're not being critical enough. And then for those who are so pro-biblical counseling that uh, maybe they haven't been in it long enough. Maybe they they only have a micro view of it and they don't know the full story arc or they haven't been involved in it for such a length of time that they can see it from a macro perspective and they could be offended by the things that I say. So it's possible that uh, everybody could be offended from what I am presenting here, but my hope is that there will be some people in the middle, uh, some people who will will listen rationally, will reflect on what I have to say, and and give it some consideration. And I would love to engage some of these people because I do think that there are some things that we do need to address. And so I want to address those things here uh, in this video and the podcast that also accompanies this video. And so the title of this talk is Four Reasons the Biblical Counseling Movement Has Passed 
is prime. And I want to give you those four reasons. I see that it has ascended, but it has also hit its peak in my view. And if we don't address these things that I want to present to you, it could continue on in decline. I'm not saying that biblical counseling will ever go away because it will not go away until Jesus returns. Uh, But yet we can lose our relevancy if we do not deal with these issues. And I want to bring those to you now. Now, before I get into those, I do want to make a distinction because there is a difference between biblical counseling and the biblical counseling movement. And so what I am going to critique here is the biblical counseling movement, not biblical counseling. You see, biblical counseling is a modern word for the New Testament word discipleship, and discipleship is God's way of doing soul care. Now, we Many of us call it biblical counseling, but from my perspective, my worldview, my hermeneutic, biblical counseling and discipleship are basically synonymous. I don't typically use the word counseling in my vocabulary. There are two reasons that I would use it. One is for marketing purposes. People understand the word counseling, and when pers- when someone has gone through a difficult situation in their life, what they're looking for is counseling, not discipleship, even though those things are really synonymous. And so I will use counseling for marketing purposes because that is what the culture not only understands, but that's also what they're looking for. And then I'll use the term biblical counseling because it's just a shorthand way. And and when I'm talking to people who understand it, I will use that term and I have really no issue with it. But if push came to shove and you ask me my preferential word, my preferential word is discipleship. It has been here for uh, 2,000 years, and it will be here until Jesus returns, and that is the New Testament way of doing soul care. The biblical counseling movement, though, for this talk, I am somewhat separating them, and so I'm not critiquing biblical counseling slash discipleship, but I do want to bring a little bit of critique to the biblical counseling movement because there are some things within the movement that I have seen that maybe you are not aware of, maybe we are blind to, but we cannot stand on this pole over here and say that biblical counseling is the greatest thing since sliced bread and we can do no wrong because we do do wrong. And if we can't say the quiet part aloud, then there truly is something wrong with us. And if we are unwilling to entertain the flaws within our discipline Again, there is something wrong with us. It would be very similar to our progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification is is something that we should pursue all the time. We want to be holy as God is holy, but 
part of being holy and, and part of maturing in our faith is talking about our flaws. And for the biblical counseling movement to be what it should be, what it could be, we have to talk about our blind spots, our, our failures, our flaws. And so without being overly critical, without being cynical, without being angry, I do want to identify some of those things within the biblical counseling movement. But again, I'm distinguishing that from biblical counseling because it is God's way of doing soul care. And again, if we do not address these things, the biblical counseling movement can lose relevancy. And in my view, I I see that biblical counseling has been in decline for the past dozen years. But before I get into these four reasons that I see it in decline, I do want to talk about its ascendancy. Because biblical counseling, the biblical counseling movement of which I am an advocate, it has done a tremendous good in Christianity over the past 50 years. For those of you who aren't as familiar with the biblical counseling movement, it started circa 1970 when J. Adams wrote the book Competent to counsel. Now, that was a landmark book, and what Jay did, basically, is he took what the world understands as psychology, and he ran psychology through the filter of God's Word, and he gave us a biblical psychology. Now, this is called the hermeneutical spiral, where we take an idea or a concept, and we run it through the grid of Scripture, and it becomes more refined. Well, Jay was the one who took psychology. Now, psychology is not a bad word. The Psychology means psyche, logos. It means the study of the soul. And Jay believed, as I do too, that God has given us the purest understanding of the soul, and he's also given us the logos, the word concerning the soul. And so the best definition that we have for psychology is God created the soul, and he's created the word concerning the soul, and so pure psychology is a biblical psychology, and Jay knew that, and so he he took psychology, and he ran it through the grid of Scripture, and he wrote this book, Competent to Counsel, and again, it was a, a, a tectonic plate-shifting book, and it has done so much good uh, within Christianity, and so biblical counseling began its ascent. And then, standing on the shoulders of J. Adams was a man named David Pallison. Now, there were many others. For example, I graduated from the Master's University in Santa Clarita, California, with a Master's in Biblical Counseling, and two of my, well, three of my profs, uh, John Street and Stuart Scott and also Wayne Mack, particularly Wayne Mack was a contemporary of Jay Adams, and so he was standing on the shoulders of, of Jay as well. Well, another person was David Pallison, and in my view, David Pallison is the de facto most extraordinary mind in all of the biblical counseling movement over the past 50 years. He is my historical hero 
hero. And if you want to read nuanced, complex, sophisticated uh, writings on uh, psychology or on discipleship, how to do soul care well, uh, you will not go wrong by reading David Pallison. Again, he is my historical hero. And so he's standing on the shoulders of Jay Adams. And so, and what David did actually was took Jay's work, basically, and ran it back through the hermeneutical spiral and brought even more refinement to what Jay did. David gave us more of a heart theology. Not that Jay did, didn't, but, but David had another way of wordsmithing and phrasing and thinking about uh, the work that Jay gave us, and, and it gave it a, a different kind, of a, a new sophistication, and so it really advanced biblical counseling. And then there were many acronyms that came out of uh, the biblical counseling movement back in the 70s. CCEF was like the first one. And then out of CCEF came uh, what we call NANC, N-A-N-C, the National Association of Neuthetic Counselors. About a dozen years ago or so, uh, NANC redefined themselves and, and rebranded themselves to ACBC. And I am uh, certified with ACBC. I'm also a fellow with ACBC. BC as well. And so the biblical counseling movement, not only was it continuing to push itself through the hermeneutical spiral to gain more and more refinement, it was spreading and it was ascending. But what I'm putting forth here for some very specific reasons it is now on the decline, and this would be maybe a, a shock, and again, it could be upsetting to some people. Maybe they have not given it any thought, or maybe they just resist the notion altogether, but that is where I hope that you would give me a legitimate listen and spend some time reflecting and be glad to debate this if that's what we need to because it's just that important. It's that important to me because I am an advocate of biblical counseling and even the biblical counseling movement. But let me repeat, I am making a distinction in my critique here between the biblical counseling movement and biblical counseling, okay, or discipleship. And so what I'm talking about is the movement. Now, I want to share with you four main reasons, in my view, that biblical counseling has been in the decline for the past decade or so. Now, this, this is not in any particular order, but the first one is, is what I'm going to call dilution. And what I mean by dilution is that we have diluted the marketplace with a plethora of certified biblical counselors. And, and the problem with that is that there is a, a connotation between a certified biblical counselor and a person who is qualified to do biblical counselor. And I, I see this all the time. Uh, we have a Facebook group, and someone will go on that Facebook group, and they will say, hey, I am looking for a certified biblical counselor. What are they looking for? I mean, what they are implying is I'm looking for a qualified biblical counselor. But, but that is a false continuum when we say that certified equals qualification because it's just not true. It is 
is impossible for that to be true in every single case, but because people connote certification with qualification and we keep certifying and we are diluting the marketplace, then we have a lot of people that are doing biblical counseling when, quite frankly, they are not good at it. Let me give you an illustration. A number of years ago, the NBA, the National Basketball Association, expanded their teams. This is not unusual. Every major sports league have done this at one time or another. Well, when they expanded their their uh, league, and created new teams in different cities, they had to fill these roster spots. Well, they filled these roster spots with with people who could not start on the team that they were presently on. But now they had an opportunity to go to a new expansion team, and they could actually start. They didn't have enough qualified starters, and so they filled these new teams with people who weren't quite up to that skill set, and the quality of the game went down. That is what will happen with any organization that spreads beyond its ability to fill those slots with competent people. Well, in a sense, this is what the, we, the biblical counseling movement, have done. Uh, we continue to give out certificates, and certificates has the connotation that these people are qualified, and that is not possible. It is impossible to be qualified to be a biblical counselor by going through any training, whether it's our training in our program, the Mastermind program, uh, Certified Biblical Counselor with ACBC, or any other of the acronyms where someone participates in whatever training that they are offering. Malcolm Gladwell talked about this in one of his books, maybe Outliers, where he he talked about 10,000 hours, the amount of time that it takes for a person to be qualified in their proficiency. And that's common sense. If you're going to be a world-class golfer, uh, if you're going to be a pianist, a singer, if you're going to be a machinist, it doesn't matter what the discipline is. Uh, In Malcolm's world, it's 10,000 hours, which is an arbitrary number, but yet it makes sense. And I think we all intuitively understand that, meaning that you can't go through any training and be able to do formalized biblical counseling at a competent level. And what will happen is that we will hurt people. And so because certification connotes qualification in so so many people's minds, and so many people are getting uh, a certification that we are pushing people out into the marketplace who have not grown in their proficiency yet because they have the training, but they don't have the time in grade, and unfortunately, we end up hurting a lot of people. And so one of the reasons that biblical counseling is in the decline is because of dilution. We have diluted the marketplace with a plethora of certified biblical counselors who either don't have the competency to reach that level of formalized counseling, or they don't have the time in grade uh, to reach that 
that level of competency. The second reason is what I'm calling stagnation. And what I mean by stagnation is that there is very little innovation within the biblical counseling movement. I have read hundreds of counseling books, and if you read counseling books over the last 15 years, virtually all of them are a rehash of of the same concepts that have already been put forth. Nearly all books repeat or rephrase the past teaching. I was talking about the ascendancy of the biblical counseling movement when Jay gave us Competent to Counsel, and he's given us a hundred other books as well. I talked about um, David Pallison, where he took Jay's work or took biblical counseling ideas and concepts and ran it back through the hermeneutical spiral and gave us some sophistication and complexity when it comes to uh, diagnosing the heart. And, and, And David took it to an innovative and new level but they are really aren't any writers today. I know there's one or two, and you can probably uh, name one or two, but not like it was, you know, 40 years ago or even 30 years ago. And so what has happened because of the, the rehash, there, there's no great thinkers. There, there's very few great thinkers in the biblical counseling movement, and so there's just a lot of redundancy and repetition, so we're not pushing things forward. I mean, this has been the beauty and the blessing of church history. Uh, from the first century, we continue to to run uh, the Bible through this hermeneutical spiral, and we come out with these new creeds, and we refine our doctrines, and we continue to mature in our understanding of the faith. And there's many uh, people who are continuing to uh, put forth good content in greater Christendom, because they are great thinkers, they are great communicators, and they can think with sophistication, but there's virtually no one. There's very few, and again, I'm sure you can name one or two, but we don't have a great number of thinkers within the biblical counseling movement. It is a repetition, a lot of redundancy, or what I am calling stagnation. And so there's a dilution of the marketplace with unqualified certified biblical counselors. There is stagnation. There's a lack of innovation like what we had 30, 40, and 50 years ago. And then the third reason that biblical counseling is moving into the decline is that there is so much controversy within the movement. There is ongoing splintering within organizations. There are theological controversies going back and forth. There is arguing, internal, external conflict with organizations and within other organizations. For example, a couple of years ago, the IABC debacle, where that organization completely imploded as two of its um, board members were disciplined uh, out of their church as there was nefarious stuff going on that no one knew about it. And and by the way, it really punctuates the point that I'm, I'm making here, that if we can't talk about what's wrong with us, then we are either 
deceived uh, unwittingly or it is a self-deception. Now, with IABC, it was a willful self-deception. They knew that these things were going on, but they allowed the uh, organization to continue to sputter along until they couldn't hide it anymore. And then uh, their church, like with Ed Bulkley, for example, uh, disciplined him. He stepped down from the senior pastorate, was disciplined out of the church. He was relinquished of his duties with IABC. And then they did similarly with Bob Froze, a discipline out of his church in New York. And so that's just an illustration of the internal conflict. And that's not an anomaly. It's not like that was the only organization that has has gone off the cliff to to irrelevancy, Uh, but other organizations have similar internal conflict as well, and we don't deal with those things. Now, the irony of that is, is that we are biblical counselors. We are the people who know how to deal with conflict biblically. That's the nature of the business. It's inherent in what we do, but yet you have an organization that is unwilling to deal with their problems, and that is a problem. IABC is an illustration of that. There are also controversies within the abuse culture as well. There there are uh, differing opinions of how to take care of abuse and abuse victims, and I have written extensively on that. In fact, if you go to the show notes of what I'm presenting to you right now, it is episode 423, and the title of it is Four Reasons the B.C. Movement Has Passed Its Prime. If you go to those show notes, you will see where I have linked uh, some of those controversies uh, where people are proof-texting to be able to uh, stretch to get to a point that they want to make. In this case, 1 Corinthians 7.15, where Chris Moles admittedly said he doesn't see it in the text, but he's making this point about divorce in case of uh, abuse. And so there is abuse controversies within the biblical counseling movement that we're not taking care of it. There's also inferior and integrated teaching within the biblical counseling movement. I have a link here of another biblical counseling organization that uh, what I call they have an anthropomorphic God, meaning they have downgraded God to he is like us, and, and God is emoting and crying over our problems as though he he is an emotional God, and I talk about that in a, another podcast that's linked in the show notes here of episode 423. And then there are theological errors, like what Wayne Grudem came out uh, with a couple of years ago on divorce. I devoted an entire podcast to that, and if you want to listen to that, you're welcome to do it. It's linked here also. But point number three, that the B.C. movement is in decline, is because of these debacles within organizations, these theological heresies, the integrated teaching, and other controversies. And then the fourth reason 
that I believe the BC movement is moving into irrelevancy is that there is virtually no accountability uh, for the movement's counselors. Now, I talked about that somewhat before, the connotation between certification and qualification. Uh, But I want to tease that out, and I'm saying virtually no accountability. And what I'm talking about is quality control is almost non-existent. A person can continue to be to do incompetent counseling for years because there is no there is there is no quality control. Uh, there's virtually no accountability. And so you give out a a certificate certificate. This person is a certified biblical counselor. They can hang out a shingle. They can start a parachurch ministry. They can counsel for decades and quite honestly be awful at it, but there's no accountability. Within our mastermind program, we we will give you a piece of paper that will say that you are certified, but we're very careful to uh, to communicate what that means. Because ultimately, this is what I tell our students, is that at the end of the day, you are going to be sitting in front of a hurting soul, and you're going to be offering advice to them. You're going to be counseling them. And what cannot happen is it cannot be a a mismatch, meaning that you are counseling past your headlights. You're counseling someone that you don't know how to counsel because you either do not have the capacity to do so, do not have, or maybe you have the capacity to do so, but you don't have the competence because you haven't been doing it long enough. And so we're very careful in our program to make sure that we are clear in our communication with where we see the student at this point in time, because we want them to be in the right place within the world of discipleship and not be in a mismatched context to where they're counseling beyond their headlights. They are over their skis to keep pushing the metaphors. But this is something that you don't see a lot of within the biblical counseling movement because the quality control, you just don't hear a lot of talk about it. And so we give them a certification, and then they're pretty much on their way to do whatever it is they're going to do, whether they're qualified to do it or not. And so I'm speaking to four reasons the biblical counseling movement, in my view, has passed its prime. The first reason I gave you is a dilution, that we have diluted the marketplace with biblical counselors who are certified but not necessarily qualified. Number two, stagnation. There's very little innovation and sophistication within the movement. Number three, there's controversies all over the place. Number four, there's virtually no accountability, the lack of quality control. Now, what I want to, I want to wrap up here, and I want to give you a solution. I just don't want to leave you with a problem, but I, I want to give you uh, some ideas that I think that if we implement, we could solve a lot of these problems. And so one of those is, and maybe the most important one, is to tie the student who is going through training, tie the student and the training that they are receiving to the local church 
where the counseling should find is contextualization. There needs to be a more a concerted effort, not just to say this on paper, that the student has to have a pastor, the student has to be part of a local church, but, but a practical accounting that this student is in a local church and there is pastoral involvement. Not that you uh, have to sign off uh, every year. Pastor, would you sign this sheet to say that I'm part of a local church in good standing? I mean, that's okay. But at the end of the day, it means virtually nothing. What we need is a more practical, hands-on leadership from uh, the pastoral team. There needs to be pastoral involvement. There needs to be oversight and needs to be ongoing assessment. People who are in this person's life, and I recognize this in our program. I mean, our program is is like in cyberspace, and so we can't be boots on the ground. We can't be in this student's living room. We can't get an honest evaluation at a distance of this student, and so we want our students involved in their local churches where there, there are pastors and other leaders that are speaking into their life and observing them and working with them. And so part of the solution to make biblical counseling robust and relevant is to tie it more closely and practically to the local church where the counseling actually finds its contextualization, its involvement with the leadership, oversight, and assessment. Number two, do away with certification. Maybe a better way of saying this is have a tiered certification program that is carefully vetted by competent people, those pastors and leaders at the local church. When you just give a certification out, then everybody, a thousand people, get the same piece of paper that has the same language on it and it's the same connotation. That is a problem. And if we continue to do that, we'll continue to to dilute the marketplace with thousands of people with the same piece of paper that has the same language on it that communicates the idea that one size fits all, that everybody is equal. Our culture is pushing that, uh, that ideology as well, where they're saying that everybody is equal and, equal, and we rebuff that. We say, no, everybody is not equal. People are different. Well, every person that goes through training is unique, is different as well, and there has to be a way of distinguishing that. Within our organization, our training program, we have certification one, two, three, and four. There is no way in the uh, number four would be like, uh, you are a disciple maker, uh, which any Christian can be. Number three has a little more sophistication. Number two uh, is moving into formalized biblical counseling. And then number one is basically you have the capacity and the competency that's been proven over years that you can take on all comers. There's not a person there's not a person in the world that could go through our program and, and come out at level two or level one. It's just not going to happen. I will not give them that certification because 
it can't happen. It is, it is physically, it is logically, it is rationally impossible uh, to give someone a certification that would connote that they have that ability. And so you either do away with the certification process altogether, or you have a tiered system that is carefully vetted. In these show notes, I have an interview that I did with Dr. Jen Chen a couple of years ago. Uh, she is an, a clinical psychologist, a PhD. Uh, she began to embrace biblical counseling, and now she's a, a certified biblical counselor. But I was asking her what was the process to become a clinical psychologist, to have a PhD. I won't repeat the litany of things that she had to go through over a number of years to reach that level of competency, but it was a staggering number of things that she had to do uh, that was really many of them were complex and they were tied to close supervision and a vetting process and I was thinking that the the world understands this And, and even though their psychology is inferior their process is superior our psychology is superior but our process is inferior and so uh, one of the things that we can do as a solution is tie the student and the training to the local church uh, where there is involvement oversight and assessment number two either do away with certification altogether or create a tiered certification program that is carefully vetted by the right people who actually know the individual that they are vetting because they have spent time with them. Number three, build training programs with customized care that is unique to the student. Again, there is no one-size-fits-all outcome for each person. And so everybody has a different capacity, for example. Everybody has a different IQ. Everybody has a different personality. Everybody is different on the progressive sanctification maturation spectrum. We're all in a different place. We all have different abilities. And so we need to carefully customize the training to the uniqueness of the individual. Uh, we sometimes will have a husband and a wife that will come to our training and they will say, well, can we just do the same training? And it's like, no, you can't uh, because you're two different people. You may be married to each other, but you're two different people. You are male and, and female. Your ages are different. Your IQs are different. Your understanding and practice of God's word is different. Your gift mix is different. Your capacities are different. Your potential outcome of competency will be different. So therefore, you may be husband and wife, but we're going to put you in two different silos, and we are going to customize our care for you. We're not going to run 100 students in a room and just give them some training. That is a program. And when it comes to biblical counseling, we can't program it like so many programs in the church because biblical counseling's are on the front end of soul care. They are sitting in front of a unique soul. Therefore, they also need unique training. And so build a training program with customized care that is unique to the student. 
and then uh, finally develop a training program that is broader than academic training. And that's one of the issues that we have within the biblical counseling movement is that people get basically academic training. They get classical information, but there is no way of taking this classical knowledge and, and expanding it and incorporating such things as character assessment and capacity determinations plus the academics that they receive, uh, it gives them a level of competence, but again, uh, there is no place for them to uh, be assessed in these other areas, which are hugely important when it comes to counseling somebody. If, if all you have is academic training, then all you can do is give them classical knowledge. If you give them classical knowledge, you're going to say things like you need to trust God or, or all things work together for good to those who love God. You're going to give them basic classical teaching. You're going to give them what the Bible says, but there will be no nuance, no sophistication, no customizing because, well, you haven't been trained that way. The training program did not help you to mature in these other areas. It just gave you classical training or academic training. And so we need to develop our training programs to where we are assessing and addressing the other parts of a person's soul, not just their uh, intellect where we're giving them information. And so these are a few solutions. There's other things that I'm sure that you can add. Uh, if you want to read the show notes of what I just shared with you, you can go to episode 423 in the Life Over Coffee podcast series. Uh, you can watch the video, of course, but it's titled Four Reasons the BC Movement Has Passed Its Prime. I trust you're not a person that's standing on this pole and you're saying that biblical counseling is the greatest thing since sliced bread and we can do no wrong. I also pray to God you're not this other person on the opposite pole that can't see any right and you're part of a toxic community. Maybe you have been abused or you've been uh, harmed by a biblical counselor. That happens all the time. I hear those stories. And so I am not going to castigate this community over here as though they have no legitimacy to what they are saying. I'm not going to delegitimize what they are saying. Saying, uh, they need to work through it. Bad things do happen to people, and I definitely do understand that. But we don't want to be on either pole. Now, if we can help you with any of these things, if you want to work through or uh, learn more about how we do our training, you're welcome to check out our mastermind program. And if we can help you in any other way, we'd be glad to do that. Thank you so much. This is Rick Thomas, and we're doing Life Over Coffee. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.